Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to introduce uh, my very special guest on the panel tonight. Uh, just one again tonight, but uh, he's uh, been on the show many, many times and uh, one of my favorites on uh, coming on the show, so I'm really excited to have him uh, join me this evening. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by uh, my very special guest, Ginger Brown Lem. Uh, she is the founder and owner of Collegiate Golf Connections. And we're going to talk a little bit about collegiate golf, not only her career, uh, but what she's doing to help youngsters uh, going through and transitioning through collegiate golf. We'll talk about that and so much more a little bit later on. Um, but glad you guys could join me. Uh, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And best way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. And uh, from 6 to 8 Central every Thursday evening, uh, we are live uh, but there is a recorded version that will come after the show. So you can go to that link, scroll down to the on-demand section, and you can check us out there, uh, not only for tonight's show a little bit later on, but also any of the previously aired shows in the on-demand section. So check them out. All right, I'm going to introduce my uh, my guest panelist tonight on Coach's Corner. Of course, I'm talking about my good friend John Hughes. Uh, he is a PJ Master Professional and the Honorary President of the North Florida PGA Section. Uh, he was also a recipient of the 2013 PGA v- America's Horton Smith Award, and uh, he's one of the senior editors and uh, Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 instructor, and also part of Golf Tips advisory staff. So please welcome to Coach's Corner my very good friend, John Hughes. Good evening, John. Good evening, Ted. Thanks once again for the opportunity to be with you with Coach's Corner. All right. Well, I appreciate it. So we were just talking, before we get into the discussion tonight, we were just talking uh, actually referring to uh, my special guest tonight is going to be talking about uh, you know collegiate golf and so forth and you were sharing some news about one of your students why don't you go ahead and take a moment and just uh, uh, sort of repeat a little bit maybe a little bit more of what you were starting to tell me sure uh, I'm very proud to say that one of my clients Lev Grinberg 13 years old locally qualified here in Orlando a couple weeks ago for the U.S. Open and he is heading to Dallas Athletic Club Monday, the 24th of May, to sectionally qualify. If he does qualify, there will be difficult. He will be the youngest person ever to play in the U.S. Open. The kid's got talent. The kid's got game. And as he's getting older, he's learning that a little bit of hard work will take those two to wherever he's really wanting to go. And 
looking forward to seeing a lot of good things from him this year. I'm really proud of what he's been able to do so far. Well, that's fantastic. And, and, you know, as a 13 year old, he's got to be, he's got to be pretty stoked about having an opportunity. I mean, I know he's not quite there yet. Uh, he's still got a little bit more hard work to do, but uh, obviously, and you know, even if he doesn't, uh, you know, we're not going to wish, you know, we're going to wish him well, but it, for some reason, if, if things don't pan out, um, you know, to even accomplish what he has thus far is a testament for somebody that age. Um, that That's great. Uh, I, I just uh, equally proud for, for your young student there to, to be able to get that far at such a young age. And what a story that would make um, for him to get into the U.S. Open at, at age 13. I mean, that's got to be pretty exciting for him. He's he's very excited and he's, he's stoked, absolutely stoked. And right now, the past couple of weeks, it's been trying to allow that comfort and confidence level to grow and, and prosper while keeping him well-balanced and under some uh, – guidance. Uh, one of the tests he's had in between was qualifying for the Florida Amateur. Last year, at the age of 12, he came in tied for 29th in the Florida Amateur. So the, the real key we're working on is not only skills and skill development, he's got a mental coach, Bill Nelson, a good friend of mine, and the two of us, along with his father, Ilya, uh, what we're really trying to do is have him understand that we don't want him to fade away. We don't want him to burn out, but the outside mm-hmm. distractions, the outside expectations is something he's got to, he's got to tune out. It's, it's got to be deflected right. off of him. And he's got to stay concentrated. And he did that uh, this past week, uh, qualifying for the Florida am again, he missed an automatic qualification by four spots last year. So he's back in that as well. Uh, looking forward to playing some AJG of A events that he's been invited to. So it's going to be a really cool summer for him. It's going to be balancing skill, balancing ex- his expectations against the world, and having him understand, mm-hmm. hey, you're 13. Let's have some fun while you're at this. But let's not put any big time expectations on. He's got some small goals which lead up to the big one and. So long as he's reaching those small ones, we're well on our way. Yeah, and it, and it's tough. It's as you say, you've got to find that balance in in life in general. I mean, obviously, he's going to have to work hard to to compete at at a high level of the game. And I know he's only 13 right now, and he's you know he's still got some growing to do in that. But he's obviously excelled to a point that he has a real chance of of qualifying for uh, you know certainly a high level um, you know event. And, um, you know, at, at the very least, he's going to come away with that much more experience, whether he, you know, gets in or doesn't get in. Uh, this is going to be a great learning experience and something, another notch that he can put, you know, uh, on his belt to say, hey, you know what, I, I worked hard and yeah, I made it. No, I didn't make it, whatever, but I've learned from it. And uh, it is a balancing act. So we're going to talk about, John, and this is a really great segue into what we're going to talk about tonight, you and I. And that is, uh, I've, I've got nine tips here to help. We may not get through, through them all, but uh, to help junior golfers. So here are, are some of the tips to, to kind of keep it fun and exciting for junior golfers. And, um, you know, you've already actually kind of touched on one here, but I, I want to sort of expand a little bit. And that is really finding a good, you know, PGA or, or LPGA, depending on, the, uh, you know, what you want to, uh, you know, get for, for your child um, professional out there. 
uh, to really give your you know your your junior, if you will, an opportunity to to grow. Um, and so you know you want to search out as a parent, you want to search out in that. Um, but there's a lot more that really having a professional. You know, it sounds like he's kind of building a team around him. He's got you obviously helping with instruction. You mentioned another gentleman that is is helping with the sort of the mental side. Of course, his his father is there. Uh, you know, helping as well. So he's kind of building a team. Talk about for for those that have a higher aspiration, the importance of sort of putting together that team. Uh, you know, beginning with somebody like yourself that that deals with more of the instructional side, um, and then adding some of the other components that may be necessary along the way. Maybe you could just touch on that for some of the parents that might be listening tonight. The importance of of reaching out and connecting with professionals. Uh, to help their junior at at whatever level? Uh, One of the things that I get complimented on uh, that I actually try to strive to do is have priorities set up for every one of my juniors. Uh, I've been real lucky the past two or three years. My juniors are doing really well around the country, and I equate it and the parents equate it to staying within their priority system. So I would tell you, as you're searching for a golf coach, are you, are you searching for somebody? They don't have to think your way. They don't have to believe in the same things you believe in politically or faith or whatever. They just have to go by your priority systems, and their priority systems as a coach have got to match somewhat. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is, does your kid get along with this coach? not only respect the coach for who they are and and what they know and what they're willing to share with your child, but does the child get along with the coach in a way that they feel comfortable calling, texting, emailing, sending a video to this coach as if the coach is in the next room in the house? Uh, When you've Mm -hmm. got those kinds of relationships established, those two big things established, your child can go almost anywhere. Cameron McCormick, Jordan Spieth is a great example. Colin Marikawa and my good friend Rick Setzinghouse is another great example. There was a great article about those two I read last night uh, on the Internet. They started when Colin was eight years old, and it was all about Mm – Colin's parents believing that Rick had the same priority systems that they did, as well as Colin just loved hanging out with Rick. Rick is a fun guy. And that is, mm-hmm. look at where that's gotten them. Um, not all coaching relationships end up like that, but that's what you're striving for is to find somebody who understands the priorities. And obviously there's school, there's family, there's faith, there's this, there's that. <laughs> Golf should be taking a back seat to all these things. But if your child's that gun-ho, you don't need a coach trying to push your priorities out of the way. You need a coach that will stay within them. And then you need to have that coach be able to communicate with a kid not only the priorities, but, hey, here's how you work around them and here's how you set up your practice. Here's how you set up your tournaments. And it takes a dialogue, and that's why having that kind of relationship is so important. It's not a monologue. It's not a dictatorship. It's a dialogue, and it should benefit the child and the parent more than the coach 100% of the time. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's really about bonding with that individual. I mean, when you, when you develop a, a, 
a, a bond or trust with that coach, um, you know, and also reversing with the student, it's easier to be able to have not only the good conversations and even some of the tough conversations. What I mean by that is, you know, obviously where you're seeing strides or improvements, you want to do that. And you certainly don't want to downplay when somebody, when the student's not doing well, but you want to be honest. If they're not putting in the effort or they're not putting in the practice that they need to be to get to the level that they want to get to, then you need to have those honest conversations. And they're more likely going to be receptive with somebody that they respect. And and I don't like to use the word admire, but but have developed that sort of bond uh, with them. They're, they're, you know, they understand the relationship and they respect the relationship and they're more apt to adhere to that, to some of the, the instruction or some of the guidance that they're going to receive from that individual. So you're exactly right. It's very, very important to develop uh, a good relationship uh, both ways with student and, and coach. All right, the second one too, and this is one here, obviously in, in a case with your student, uh, you know, this is something that he – uh, may have done a little bit earlier on, but now he's he's got a more defined uh, path. But I think for junior golfers as a whole, um, and, and I'm just curious your thoughts whether you agree or not, but I think group instruction has found for, by many to work best. And what I mean by that is with, with the time available, um, you know, golf as an example between shots, uh, it's a great opportunity. It's a very social game. So instruction should sort of follow this lead. Kids who learn, laugh, and improve um, – and struggle together are more likely to return for more. Do you agree with that statement that certainly initially, obviously if they show signs as, as yours does that uh, have aspirations, you know, then you're going to sort of bring them into a more individual uh, package, if you will. But initially for junior golfers, is that a good idea? Do you think typically in most cases to start them off in a group setting so that they're comfortable, they can kind of kibitz with their, with their golfing buddies. What do you think? Absolutely, and and the way I'm going to expand upon that is it's a constant cycle as they go through the maturity cycles of life. Let me start with where you started, and that is at the beginning with beginner golfers. When someone's just trying to figure out, hey, is golf for me, adult or junior, doing it in a group Mm -hmm. session allows you to share the camaraderie, share the hurt, share the pain, but share the success as well. And with that, you're going to get questions answered that you might be shy to answer that someone else, ask rather, that someone else will ask, while at the same time you may be wanting to ask something that's more apropos for you. And, and your child, and there's nothing wrong with that. When you're talking about junior golf and groups, now you also have the unit of parents together, sharing and bonding together that way, assisting one another, supporting one another. And that's really the environment that that produces. As your junior golfer gets better at what they're doing and wants to do more with their skills, what eventually ends up is, okay, let me take some private lessons with my coach. While at the same time, this bonding of the group, especially if the group is at a private club or a semi-private club, and it's going to happen a lot during the summer, you drop your kid off and this group tends to mingle together and they challenge each other and they, they do a lot of games and contests with each other 
the word gamification comes to mind, which Operation 36, which I'm a part of, uses quite a bit. But what's funny about it is those same things when I'm with somebody individually come to fruition and, and the, the growth all of a sudden blossoms. It explodes almost. But as soon as they leave me as a coach individually, they're right back with this path, if you want to call it that. And as the child ages, matures as a junior, and then matures as a junior golfer, they tend to start reforming these groups. And those groups are always kids that have something in common with your junior. Not necessarily all skill level, but it could be social, it could be school, it could be other things they do off the golf course that they have in common. And golf is just another one of those connection devices for them starting with a group and understanding that there will always be some kind of group there, whether formal or informal, as your junior golfer matures, there's nothing wrong with that. As a coach, I'm never, ever going to get in the way of that organically forming. As a coach, what I'm trying to do is help and lead those junior golfers to understand what it is they're experiencing and learning from their group activities that they can apply to themselves individually. So, yeah, I I have always supported group, but at the same time when you realize you're sort of ducking in and out of groups all the time, as adults, if you look back at not only our childhood but our adult lives, we do the same thing. shouldn't be any different with God. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um and, you know, the next point I want to bring up, because this sort of falls into, you know, what we're talking about, especially with some of the younger uh, golfers, again, um, young, younger kids particularly need a variety. Um, you know, they're never too young to start to learn to play. We've had some really young golfers out. There's a lot of pros that work with, I mean, literally kids, you know, three years old. Um, and, and obviously, you know, age appropriate is how you're going to handle that. Uh, so you're certainly never too young to learn. Uh, but even the, the smallest swingers kind of need a mixture of activities to keep clinics and lessons fresh and exciting. So, you know, I, I, how I want you to approach this is, you know, for, for really the, the young youngsters, there's sort of one, I guess, approach of, of how we want to handle things uh, before we really to start to progress into helping them understand more about the game. Um, when typically do you want to start focusing on some of the fundamentals or, um, you know, some of the, the more um, specific aspects of, of learning to actually play the game? When's that transition happen? So obviously when they're first coming out, um, you know, depending on their age, if they're really young, you know, we're going to look at things a little bit differently, but as they start to transition, we're going to kind of flip that switch. And again, it, I know it varies from student to student, but generally what has been your experience? When do you start, you know, recognize, okay, this is, you know, a youngster just wanting to come out and, and be exposed to the game to somebody that says, hey, now they, I think it's time to start teaching them some of the basics of the game. What, what's typically been your uh, experience? So I only put myself in the position of being a parent because I am one. Um, I'm a step-grandparent, and what I'm always telling is, the tip. Let me twist this around a little bit to answer it, but I'll get to the answer. 
typically the, the most popular question I get from adults about their children is when are they ready for instruction? And my typical answer is when you can't answer the questions they're asking you, and it's okay. That's quite all right. You're the parent, and you should always be the parent. And if you can't answer something and then you try to, your kid's going to figure it out at some point. And they're, at the worst possible moment, they're going to look at you and go, well, Mom, Dad, you're not the expert at that. So-and-so is. And that's embarrassing. You, you don't want to go through that. I, with my son, people said, hey, when did you start him? And I said, all I did was expose him. And that's your first responsibility as a parent is exposure. Provide the exposure, provide the opportunities, and provide support. If you do, do those three things, at some point your child will either migrate to those opportunities and exposures or they won't, and that's okay. When they migrate to that and get deeply interested, they'll start asking questions. And if you're a golfer and want to help them out, I think that's fine but understand your limitations, understand your ability to convey the message that your child's asking to be conveyed, and at some point mm -hmm. just stick the ego out the door and go, you know what, I don't know this. Maybe it's time for you to join a group, or maybe it's time for us to get you private instruction. Nothing wrong with that, and nothing wrong with sort of jumping the gun to throw them into the group. Maybe a, I wouldn't say too soon, but as soon as they start getting inquisitive, that's the time to start asking them, well, you know, would you like to try this? I'd be very happy to give you the opportunity to try this. Why don't we look at putting you in a group to do this and group to do that? Now, there's an asterisk to that. Yep. There are some kids who just don't like groups, and there are some kids that want their parents to be not only the parent but the expert. And you'll know if your kid's that kind of kid. It's best, again, to go back to those two fundamental ba basics of picking the coach, the priority systems, and the relationship factor. And it's okay for mom or dad to be there as that security, as that confidence measure. At some point, if that relationship clicks, whether in an individual setting or a group setting, you'll know. You know your child better than the coach. You know your child better than the kids that they're hanging out with. You know your child better than the parent sitting next to you, but at some point you've got to be able to sort of let the leash go, per se. I hate to use that type of mm -hmm. term, but you've got to just sort of right. let the leash go and, and let the child explore. Being able to really recognize as a general rule, and I, I think this is why another reason why I'm successful when I answer that question the way I do. Hey, the time to get them instruction is when you can't instruct them, when you're no longer the expert. Let's keep you the parent mm -hmm. because I need you as a coach to be the parent. When you're the parent and the coach, there's conflicting messages sometimes. And at the end of the day, we're doing a disservice to your child. At the end of the day, it might right. be a doctor, but it's still a child. And we've got to respect those relationships for, for your child to succeed. Yeah, and I think it's important, too, because, the you know, most kids, I think pretty much all kids, you know, 
one of the things that they, they want to do is they want to please their parents. They want to be able to do things. They want them to be proud of them. And I think sometimes if the parents get too involved in the coaching aspect, other than from a supportive and, and assisting in, in a sense of helping to reinforce whatever plans are put place, uh, put in place, excuse me, um, then there becomes, like you said, a conflict where there's confused and, and mixed messages because, you know, instead of an attaboy uh, or an girl you know, they're getting, well, no, you're not doing this right. You're not doing that right. And then, you know, it gets to a point where there there develops a resentment um, towards the parent because they're not pleasing them any longer. And a lot of frustration sets in. And just to add this sort of what you already talked about goes into the fourth point. So we're going to skip that, but I just want to mention one thing. And that was really just, you know, don't sweat the details, especially with some of the younger, earlier uh, kids that are coming out, you know, obviously having solid foundations are important. Uh, sorry, uh, fundamentals, excuse me, are important. Um, but it's okay if they don't have a perfect grip or their stance is uh, not quite right, as long as they're hitting the ball and, and optimally they're having fun and wanting to return uh, for more. If if it becomes too overwhelming uh, at an early age or too much pressure, uh, then they're not apt to want to come back because uh, it's not a pleasurable experience. And I think there's a time and a place, as you said, when they feel they're ready to learn more and, and are asking questions and wanting to have uh, more detail given, that's the time to, to sort of make that move. So you're exactly right. I think it's important. And I think as parents, you know, many parents want mean well, but I think sometimes their their own ambitions and their own excitement in the moment, you know, overtakes and, and then it becomes a, a difficult strain on the relationship. So um, great points that you made, and I just wanted to add that. The other thing, tip number five, is to get on course as soon as possible. Um, you know, obviously they've got to work on the fundamentals and they've got to be hitting some balls on the range. Um, but if they're doing nothing but, they're going to quickly lose interest. So what do you think about that? Uh, again, it's going to vary from student to student, but getting them on course and giving them real uh, experiences as opposed to just, you know, hitting to imaginary targets is important. Maybe you can touch on that a little bit. Sure. I, I get adults to compliment me from time to time. I had a, a couple from St. Croix today, and the gentleman, as we parted ways after two days of golf school, he looked at me and said, you know, I've never been taught how to play the game. Most of the lessons mm-hmm. I've been I've taken, everybody's talking about how to hit the ball. And I'm like, well, if you don't know how to hit the ball, you can still play the game, can't you? And he's like, yeah. And I said, if all you're ever doing is learning to strike a ball, how are you ever going to learn to play the game? And he thought about right. it. And and with juniors, I think that's the, the same type of mentality. Let's talk about the word play. Play indicates fun. It, it basically says, hey, play, fun. They're almost one and the same to a junior golfer they don't want to have a lot of monotonous drills and tasks. They do that at school. They do that at home. The more fun you make something, the more you feel like you're playing at something, and that's typically the time when you learn the most. Uh, The studies are there. The science is there with that. So teaching your child how to play golf, I think, is something that a parent can do just by inviting them to play with you, put them on the cart, put the bag on the cart or the push cart, and go play with them, 
Show them that you enjoy the moment of playing. Show them that you enjoy the intensity of hitting a ball a certain way because you're behind a tree or putting to make a birdie or driving it as far as you can. Uh, It's about playing the game that ultimately will hook the child for life. They may not play collegiately. They may not even play in high school. My son's that way. I spent Sunday and Monday this past week doing nothing but playing golf with my son, who three years ago didn't want anything to do with it. But that's the connection we have, and it's because when he was a year and a half, two years old, he was always riding with me. It had nothing to do with Mm -hmm. teaching this, teaching that. It was just exposing the opportunity. But it was always about fun, always. And I think if you follow that rule, that play and fun go hand in hand, you start doing some things good for the child, for the junior golfer, that they know this is a relaxing time. And if they want to get better at it, it's much easier as an adult to say, well, there's certain things you have to do that Rory McIlroy has to do, or there's certain things that Dustin Johnson does so he can do this and you can start drawing those parallels, watch their eyebrows light up. They'll just go right through their scalps because all of a sudden they're realizing, wow, it's not enough to play. I've got to play and I've got to do these other things to play well. It's just the organic nature of how they learn the game. Teach them how to play. Everything else falls into line. Teach them how to do something technical You've got you've got a tall order on your hands when you're doing that. Yeah, uh, again, I agree, and you know, it, it just it boils down to really the individual golfer, and this is where having that again, going back to the earliest uh, point uh, about having that relationship, um, obviously a, a good relationship with the parents, but also with the coach as well to help sort of guide and, and answer those questions along the way. Um, Point number six, really, I know you've touched on this a little bit, um, but I, I just want maybe, you know, to clarify a few points. And this is really goes back to what you said earlier, and that is, you know, really let the child decide. Uh, after all, it's their journey. And not all junior golfers may want to play in tournaments. Some might like to compete, uh, but maybe in a group setting, um, and others may enjoy the game just because they can be outside and spend, you know, some time with their uh, friends and and having a few laughs. So uh, the other issue is is parents who push their children down that wrong path ultimately can end up driving them away from the game. Um, you know the decisions you know to pursue a tournament title or uh, collegiate scholarships and that sort of even a professional career always has to come from the golfer and no one else. And this is something that we deal with. And and John, I know there's no easy answer to this, but in a case like that, where maybe you're seeing as a coach a, a more aggressive approach from the parents pushing that child maybe in a direction you can tell they're not comfortable with, how do you have that conversation? What, what's the conversation you at that point have with the parents? Because, again, it's their child. They're trying to – you know what I'm saying? Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you know, it's their child. It's It's not yours, and you know they have what they feel the right to sort of – you know, encouraged the way they want, but at the same time, you see it from an outside perspective, 
that sometimes it can be detrimental. So go ahead and give me your thoughts. I've had that conversation with so many parents over 30-plus years of coaching, and I've got to thank my father for guiding me through my professional career before golf. As some listeners may already know, I played professional soccer, and it wasn't until I was 13, 14 years old that my father sat me down as a former professional baseball player. He played in the minor leagues in the early 50s, and he said, if this is something you want to do, then I'm going to support you doing it. But if it's something Mm -hmm. you don't want to do at any time, it's okay to say I don't want to do it. But let's not quit in the middle of something. Let's make sure we fulfill and finish whatever we've committed to. And that's something mm-hmm. that I have always taken into these conversations. I've had these conversations with people who have paid me nothing, and I've had these conversations with adults who are paying seventy, eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand dollars for their kids to be at the academy that I used to work for. And that's a tough. It's believe it or not, it's a tougher conversation with someone who's not paying you than someone who is paying you, regardless of the dollar number. It's much right. tougher because the ones that are really behind their kids, not for the money, but for wanting the kid to get where they want to go, they're so caught up in getting the kid there. They're missing the obvious signs that the kid is providing them, the nonverbal cues, the verbal cues. There's a lot of things that go on, and if you're blind to the fact of these cues, you will push your child over the edge. I've seen it happen. I've seen some very talented young men and women when I was at the academy who claimed they wanted to be there, tried it, really worked hard the first couple of weeks and realized it wasn't for them. It was early enough they mm-hmm. could have pulled out and it would have been no harm, no foul. The ones that really succeeded that I still keep up with, who some still play golf and some don't, were the ones whose parents basically said, look, we made a commitment. I'm going to support you through this, but we can't Mm -hmm. have you quit in the middle. We need for you to try. We need for you to try hard, and we need for you to do your best. And I think if you're doing that as a parent, you're succeeding at supporting. And typically that is the conversation I'll have with an overzealous parent who's living vicariously through their kid. I'll have that same conversation with a parent too domineering. They're helicopters and they just refuse to give up control of what their kid's going to do. It's not that I'm asking for control. I'm asking them to let the kid control it a little bit, let them sort of dictate the future. It's, when you put it in perspective of the child, it's never an easy conversation with any adult, no matter who they are, no matter what they're worth, uh, innerly or outwardly. It becomes a simpler conversation because you're keeping the priority on the child and their well-being and enjoyment. Because I go back to what I said before, play and fun are, are synonymous with learning and improving. And if they're not having fun, if they're they're not going to play, and if they're not going to play, you're wasting your energy as, a, as an adult. Let them figure it out for themselves. The other question real quick, 
that I get is when should this child make a commitment? I would tell you there's a range of age anywhere between 12 and 18 where a child will figure out that's exactly what they want to do. I've got a young man in Springfield, Missouri, who's who's all-state baseball player, and at 15 quit baseball, and this kid made all-state golf, and that's what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, parents are supporting either one, but he wants to go the golf route. Uh, it, it varies. It varies based on the individual, the family environment, what can and can't be accomplished. But the, the, you'll know the nonverbal, you'll know the verbal cues from your child when, when they're ready to make that commitment. All you can do is be there to support the commitment in any way, shape, or form possible. Yeah, those are great, uh, great points, John. And, and, and you know, again, it, it, it really does become because a lot of times I think what what parents don't understand is sometimes the thing they want the most they can more often not not in every case obviously because there are some cases as you just pointed out where you know they may decide that's not for them but a lot of times parents can really get what they want if they just kind of step back a little bit and let them let the child you know kind of find their way around and and I do agree with what you also said too I think if they're you know, obviously, we want them at a young age to try a lot of different things, um, and that's and we're going to talk about something along that lines here in just a moment, uh, kind of on this subject. But I want to I want to move on to the next point, uh, point number seven, and that is uh, for everybody, not just the kids, but slumps are a part of sports. Uh, every golfer sort of reaches a point where uh, scores aren't improving, uh, maybe putts uh, don't drop or drives miss the miss, miss their target. And I think understanding that and accepting that is is just part of the game. Um, I know you've seen a lot of that where you've got some really good golfers one minute and the next minute things kind of, you know, the wheel falls off the bus. That's a whole different conversation that you're going to have with them. And and what do you do, you know, when you've got a student who's really showing a lot of promise, uh, really has, uh, you know, is able to really test the metal, if you will, and then all of a sudden they get in there and, you know, over a few weeks they're just not, you know, things are not just happening. Things are kind of almost look like they're going in reverse. Um, that's a tough conversation, I imagine, uh, to have, especially with the junior, because, again, they're very, very competitive, more often not at that age. Give us a, a brief dis- uh, description, if you will, of, of that conversation when things are just not going well. Sure. Most of the time, the the most panic attacks I get from my junior players is as they're going through puberty. And once they reach, say, a certain level at a high school age, when they're going through puberty, it's it's a somewhat difficult conversation to have because I'm not their parent, but I've been a parent. But I'll also go back to, and I'll leave the last name out just to protect the innocent. I had a young man at the Junior Academy 20-plus years ago. His name is Will. He came to me at four foot nine in the middle of the end of August, and by the time he left at the end of May, he was six foot two. We went through four different sets of clubs. There were days that he got up and could not walk because he was growing so fast. On top right. of that, he was ADHD, and it was, it was 
there were days it was absolute hell for me, for him, for his parents. And what we always went back to, and this is, I always go back to this. Whenever it happens, I think of Will, and what we did with Will is basically say, you know what, let's, let's find the place where you last accomplished something good and use that as some, a confidence builder to get you through this rough time. Have you, having the young man or woman understand, hey, you're going through some growth spurts here, and it's going to change your equilibrium and how it balances you out. It's going to change how you feel physically, mentally, and emotionally. And it's, could, it's probably going to change the golf game. I'm, I'm having to do that with Lev right now and have him understand that when the wheels fall off, there are fundamental things that he does well that he can always go back to, confidence builders. A couple of those is when I first met him, he, he needed to learn to flight the ball and control his spin. When the wheels fall off, that's exactly the, where we go back to now. And he has a lot of fun doing it. He's always begging me to set up extra targets and play points games with flight scope skills app and that kind of thing. And he always goes back to flighting it, and that gets him back to where he was successful. Every young man or woman has their own little confidence builder, and you have to understand where that is. And it happens quite a bit through the pubescent period of their lives. When you're talking about prepubescent, it's normally about strength, and it's normally about distance, and that's a pretty easy conversation to have. Um, may not be for the child, but it is for the coach, and it should be for the parent. It's, hey, you're not as big as Dustin Johnson or Bryson DeChambeau. When you get as old as Bryson, you can eat whatever you want and lift whatever weight you want. <laughs> but until then, it's not going to help you. You're just not that right. big. And, you know, uh, they'll figure that out. They understand that, and they learn to live with right. it. And kids have a really short memory when it comes to that. When you're talking about the high school age person, maybe they've achieved some kind of success. It still goes back to, hey, where did that success lie? What are your strengths? Let's not deal with your weaknesses. Let's deal with the positives here. But sometimes when they get in a rut, something physical, or is it just something about their confidence? It could be something about their confidence that's off the golf course. It has nothing to do with the golf course. And, again, that's where the relationship building comes in. I can go to my junior golfers, sort of see them walk up lethargic, less energetic, and go, hey, how was school today? Or how was this? Or how was that? And immediately have a better understanding of where their mindset might be, where their heart is. Their physically might be tip-top shape. They're going through their fitness routine. They're going through their mental coaching routine but yet they come to practice just not ready to practice or they go to a tournament just not ready to play. That's okay. It happens. It happens to the tour players. What that high school player is experiencing is that golf is not a game of perfect. And up until that point, a lot of perfect things have been going on. Supportive parents don't have to worry about the money to do certain things. Supportive coach support of this, support of that. And then all of a sudden the game very drastically and violently can throw some darts at you that are very realistic but yet very down to earth. Hey, we don't have the money to go to this tournament. Or, hey, 
this course is way too difficult for you. It doesn't fit your style. There's tons and tons of reasons why a young man or woman will fall off the can fall off their game. Uh, you got to give them a chance. You got to recognize those nonverbals to intervene and get them back to some confidence builders that got them to where they were. Let's not ever forget that. Jack Nicholas and Jack Kraut would do that constantly. Uh, Tiger Woods, with all of his coaches, would constantly do that. What are those confidence builders? What can we go back to? The Linus's security blanket, if uh, to age myself here is mm. what I call it. What's that security blanket <laughs> right. you're dragging around with you that you've forgotten about? It's still being dragged around, but those skills on that blanket, let's go back to that and let's take our time, rebuild your confidence. It didn't disappear overnight. It's not going to be built back overnight, but let's draw the line in the sand and start now to rebuild it. You know, that's a great point. Just very quickly, I want to touch on because you mentioned him, uh, you know, with Tiger as an example. Um, you know, obviously he, he did things for a myriad of reasons, but, you know, he had famously, you know, his stinger, if you will. He would pull out that two iron and, and hit that solid little stinger right down the middle of the fairway. And a lot of times, you know, even on longer holes, if he wasn't feeling comfortable with his driver that day or he needed to be, you know, accuracy was a premium uh, he would pull that out, and you know, again, he was confident in his game. He knew what would work, what wouldn't work, which in his case, a lot of work. But um, but there were times when when that confidence really shone through because you you could just see it in his mind. He knew that there were certain things that he needed to do, and he very seldomly, uh, at least to, to most observers, really didn't make a lot of mistakes. Uh, and it's because he had that confidence. He knew what he could do with his game, which was, again, at a very, very high level. Um, and, you know, for a lot of kids growing up and coming through the ranks, if you will, uh, you know, they're still learning to find that confidence, whether it's a shot they can go to, you know, whether it's a, a, a pace or cadence that they develop that gets them in the right rhythm or right tempo for, for you know, whatever it is that they're trying to do. Um, once they find that, and, uh, you know, get into the zone, if you will, um, it can be very chaotic at times. Uh, I want to go on to the next one here, which is point number eight. We still got a little bit of time. Uh, and this really is more for the parents. Um, you know, don't rush to spend. Uh, you know, it's tempting, uh, you know, for, for them to want to rush out and, and buy, uh, you know, some expensive clubs and maybe some flashy clothes uh, as soon as their son or daughter mentions that they'd like to, uh, you know, uh, spend an afternoon out in the golf course. Um, but, you know, that's not always a good idea either. Um, most instructors and, and golf courses uh, usually have some uh, equipment available for juniors uh, during lessons and clinics and that sort of thing. Um, but that's kind of a no-no too, right, John, is to, to have parents kind of, you know, the second, hey, you know, I think I'd like to take up golf, and boom, they're out there, you know, buying everything they can and, and signing them up for a bunch of lessons. That's not always the smartest play either, right? You're correct. At Falcons Fire, we offer junior clubs free uh, to use for juniors who are just starting out, just so you're not making a major financial commitment. Um I go back to Will going through four sets of clubs. These were all 
fitted, very expensive golf clubs. Luckily, his father had someone he could sell them to as he outgrew them. Um, when it comes to anything you're going to spend on your child, again, I've got my parents to thank for this. When I made the commitment to play soccer and then later in life made the commitment to play golf, I was out of college. They reminded me, you got to earn it. You've got to earn the wedge or earn the putter or earn the new driver. You've got to earn that new outfit or the new pair of shoes. When you instill that kind of discipline, uh, but also responsibility, you get a better golfer, but most importantly, you get a better junior development learning style for your child. They they don't run around feeling entitled. Uh, they tend to act, mm-hmm. the ones that earn it tend to act better often on the golf course. Probably have, will create a better work ethic for themselves. And it's something that they, those are skills they're going to need as an adult. Uh, so that's something that I'm always telling, unless it's painfully obvious, um, I have an 11-year-old up in Massachusetts, Declan Ward, who was playing with some clubs that were semi-well fit for him. But when he made the commitment at 10 years old, he really wanted to play. It was time to get him a really good set of golf clubs. Went to club champion uh, New Year's Eve, got fit, and it made a difference. He he improved everything by 20-plus yards. That's a little mm-hmm. bit different because he had played with some clubs that weren't necessarily ill-fit, but they weren't high-performance clubs. Before he right. was allowed to go to club champion, his mother and his grandfather, who's basically the dad in the family, basically said, Declan, you got to earn this, and here's how you're going to earn it. And they set up things at home for him to earn it. They set up things at school for him to earn it. And they set up things that, on the golf course for him to earn it. With his current clubs, he had to shoot a certain score so many times in a tournament. He had to practice every these certain things. Um, he earned it. And when he got this new set of clubs, it not only was were his eyes lit up as to how much better he was playing, because he earned the clubs, he now realized he had to take those clubs out and earn the scores with them. And it was much easier to coach him with those new clubs than it was, say, with the old clubs, not because he didn't earn the new clubs or the old ones so much as there was a building block process both myself and his grandfather could use when he gets down. We say, hey, how'd you earn those clubs? How'd you get these in your hands? You had to do X, you had to do Y, you had to do Z. Why is it any different now? Let's continue on that progress. Let's continue on that mm-hmm. road. It'll take you further than you realize. And I think if parents take that kind of attitude, it's different. It's it's much different than some of the things that I see. But I do see that the kids who use that and the parents that use that turn out to be the more successful golfers. Yeah, and I I think that's in, in anything in life too. I think when when you go out and earn something, whatever it be, whether it be a set of clubs or or the opportunity to to play, I think you you enjoy it more. You feel better about it. It, it changes your demeanor. I think if you if everything is sort of given or handed out to you, I think you get into a situation where 
it, there doesn't it doesn't hold the same value. And I think it's important. Again, obviously, you know, you want to be playing with equipment that is is well suited for uh, you know your level of game and and your physical uh, you know attributes. But um, I think to just arbitrarily go out just at the first you know uh, inkling of of an interest in something and and you know showering them with with expensive equipment and things like that when they really haven't made a commitment uh, or haven't really put forth the effort I think does them as you said a, a disservice um, on both sides. And the last one, John, uh, number nine is I know we sort of glossed over this. Uh, this evening, but I think there's a, a couple of things here that I want to touch on, and that is obviously enjoying the game together with your parents. Um, you know, whether it's father and son, mother and daughter, or parents in general together. I think just to go out and, and spend some time together is is a uh, a good way to introduce them to the game. Uh, maybe starting a holiday tradition. Uh, you know, sharing nine holes or or something like that on a special event. Um, just doing something like that can can really help, but. I think also to uh, John, it's good to maybe you know obviously uh, when and where possible. If you've got, I mean, the PGA and LPGA have events uh, virtually all over the country. Um, in many cases, in most states, uh, uh, you know, you would have an, a, hopefully an opportunity to uh, get one that's not too far away and and try to attend. I think that's a good way to do, um, you know, introduce juniors to the game as well as let them see. Um, you know, a, a professional tournament. What are your thoughts? I see it all the time with the Arnold Palmer Invitational. I saw it all the time when mm-hmm. I was at Harbortown, the academy there. Uh, any of the events that I go see elsewhere, I'm the, I'm the starter at the father-son at the Ritz-Carlton every year. It, it's amazing what watching the pros can do to a child. Um, I'm very fortunate during the Arnold Palmer Invitational, I actually get to walk inside the ropes. I've done so with Bryson a couple of times, Ricky Fowler, um, Davis Love, to name a few. And with Ricky and with Bryson, it was really interesting to see not the adults, but the juniors, how they would follow these two icons in their eyes. And not only follow them walking around, but hear the comments after they've hit a shot. Ooh, did you see that? Did you see what he did here? Look at what he did there. Look at how he twirled with the club afterwards. Look at this. Look at that. It, it's a discovery time, and it's a lot of fun. And, and most of these tour plays are very engaging. Uh, a lot of the tours are almost mandating that they be more engaging because that's the future of the game, not only for them as a tour, but for the industry as a whole. And the industry looks to the tours as the icons, as the people to follow. Uh, Taking a junior to any professional sporting event is great, but what's neat about golf is they get to get very close to their idols. In stadiums, you can't do that most of the time. In arenas, it's almost impossible. Security is preventing you from getting to the floor of the field. With golf, you're right there. You can reach out and touch them almost, and sometimes you actually get to do that. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a, a great opportunity, and, you know, it's interesting to, to watch. I re- remember, you know, going to some of my earlier, um, you know, PJ events, and, uh, you know, when I was back up in Canada, 
And it was always interesting. I used to go to Glen Abbey, which was where they held the Canadian Open at that particular time. And I've been to others, obviously, here in the United States. But, um, you know, those were some of my earlier times. And, and even as I um, got a little bit older and, and was still, uh, you know, able to go uh, when my schedule permitted, um, you know, I always enjoyed just walking around and just the atmosphere. It was very um, exciting. Obviously, it's, it's different than some of your other sports, like a football or a baseball game. Um, but you know, I, I have shared even a, a couple times on the show, but I've had opportunities where, you know, I got pretty close to, uh, some very, you know, top players, including Jack Nicholas and, and, uh, and some others. And, uh, it was always interesting to hear their conversations with their caddies and, and, uh, and, and other players, you know, when they would be on the tee and, and you'd hear them talking while they were waiting for their turn and, uh, you know, it, it's amazing. They're just like everybody else. You know, when you see the level of play, somebody like a Jack Nicholas, and you hear the conversation, you know, I remember uh, one time particularly he was talking about fly fishing, which was something he really enjoyed. And, you know, it would be the last thing you think he'd be talking about on the tee when he's in the middle of a tournament. But, you know, he would sometimes bring that up and say that, you know, he just visited such and such and had a great experience fly fishing. And the next thing you know, he's teeing up and boom, he's down the fairway. So, um, it's just a, a fun atmosphere, and I think it's a great opportunity. And it's a, it, it truly is a game for a lifetime, whether you excel to the highest caliber that we see out on tour uh, or you're just uh, you know a weekend warrior or just maybe once in a while a family tradition that you've put together uh, and hitting the links. I think it's one of those games that, that really you can have a lot of fun at. Uh, certainly going to be frustrating, John, as we can attest to at times, but that's the fun of it sometimes, the challenge is interesting and and there's so many great life lessons that can be learned along the way as well but well john i appreciate it it's hard to believe but our hour's gone already but uh, i appreciate uh, it was a great discussion tonight and um i think it's going to be a, a great intro if you will into um the next segment with my special guest who is going to talk about uh, more of the collegiate golf experience uh she talks about things but um john very quickly uh let the folks know where they can reach out if they want to get in touch with you and, and if there's anything special that you want to announce uh, before we uh, close off this segment. Jim, once again, thanks. Uh, I always enjoy this opportunity. I look forward to it. I rush home from the golf course to get my earbuds in if I forget them in the morning. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to discuss some of the topics, uh, some of the off note topics. Everybody talks about hitting balls and doing this and doing that. You do a wonderful job of trying to make the game a little bit more holistic for your for your listeners, and I, I very much appreciate being part of that. If you're looking to get a hold of me, it's very easy. John Hughes Golf, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, that's all you got to type in. YouTube, uh, highly Highly recommend and, and ask that people subscribe to my YouTube channel. You're going to see a lot more there, as well as on my virtual platform, Instant Golf Improvement. Look for some announcements throughout the summer with some specials there. Uh, with the summer, I get a little bit more time to do some videotaping and look forward to doing that, and as well as getting some more articles done for golf tips. And again, I can't thank you enough for the opportunities you provide me, Ted. Not a problem, John. It's always, um, it's always a pleasure and I appreciate your input, not only, uh, into the show, uh, you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, you were one of the original guests, I believe, 
uh, one of the earlier guests anyways, and you've been uh, here from the beginning on the Coach's Corner panel as well. So I appreciate it and always glad to uh, talk shop, if you will, uh, with you here on the Coach's Corner panel. But, John, have a great weekend, and thank you as well for your contributions to Golf Tips Magazine. Always appreciate it there as well. But uh, John Hughes, Coach's Corner panel, another great episode. Thank you, my friend. Enjoy your evening, everybody. All right, bye-bye. All right, before I introduce tonight's special guest, here's a quick message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, and just a quick note to follow up on that. Uh, currently right now, uh, we're offering at Golf Tips Magazine a special offer uh, off our regular uh, print subscription for one year. Typically is $14.97 uh, for a year subscription. Uh, currently, we're offering it at $9.99. If you um, enter in promo code GOLFTIPS21, that's GOLFTIPS21, uh, when it asks you, if you just go on the website, golftipsmag.com, subscribe to the print uh, issues. And uh, if you enter in uh, promo code golftips21, uh, you'll save a little bit of money, over, just over 30% actually off of the uh, regular price of a, of a subscription. So uh, check it out, golftipsmag.com, and don't forget to enter uh, on your purchase Promo code GOLFTIPS21. All right, my very special guest uh, is ready to join me, so I'm going to do a quick introduction, and then I will bring her on. Her name is Ginger Brown-Lem. She is the founder and owner of Collegiate Golf Connections. Uh, she reared on a nine-hole course in Hope, Arkansas. Uh, she went on to be an All-American performer in high school, uh, but that was just the start as her talents on the links landed her a full scholarship at the University of Texas, where she excelled en route to earning all SWC honors twice and win her senior year. Following her illustrious collegiate career, she went on to become, uh, compete excuse me, professionally on the Futures Tour as well as the USGA Women's US Open. Uh, the sport has been a major component in her life uh, in various capacities. Uh, she now resides in the Woodlands, Texas with her husband, and she is the founder and owner, as I mentioned, of Collegiate Golf Connections. Uh, she primarily educates and mentors juniors and parents in the recruiting process with a goal of college golf. She also is working with the prestigious Summit Golf School, where she teaches and coaches golfers of all ages. So, again, please welcome my very special guest this evening, Ginger Brown-Lem. Good evening, Ginger, and Hi welcome there, to Golf guys. Talk Live. Thank you for having <laughs> me. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm always... Uh, I'm honored to have you on the show, and I appreciate you joining me. Um, so let me start things off, and I like to do this, particularly with, with new guests on the show. I know you've done these types of things before, um, but who introduced you to golf? When was your first recollection? When did you start to, to 
first go out to the golf course? Who was that individual that took you out there? And what was your very early on experiences before you got into some of the things that we're going to talk about? Well, um, my dad, uh, he owned a chain of self-service car washes. So we always wondered growing up what he did for a living because he would play golf every afternoon. And we moved to the fifth hole. It was a dog leg par five. And we moved to the fifth hole and he would play golf every afternoon. And I think I could have been about seven. I got my first set of clubs. They were Patty Berg's. It was like a, I don't know, a seven to nine, a putter and a three wood. And I remember it being a red plaid golf bag, single strap. So that's, that's my memory of starting. And, um, we would go out on the dog leg par five and play half the hole as a little par three and up number six as a par four and then go back to the house where we would eat dinner and whoever won got to tell everybody else, you know, to wash the dishes or put up the, you know, put up the pots and pans <laughs> and things. So a lot of competition growing up for sure. Well, and I think it's important. I was just uh, talking on the earlier segment with my, my good friend, John Hughes, who is a PJ Master Professional out of Orlando, and you know he talked about as well, you know, some of his experience over the years, and um, you know he's been teaching now for 30 plus years uh, in in golf instruction, and obviously coaching uh, some collegiate players and so forth, and you know his earlier memories as well, you know, were with his dad and and um, you know getting out there and just sort of having that initial experience, and you know we talked a lot about junior golf. Um, sort of pre-collegiate, if you will, in the earlier segment, really sort of to lead up to what we're going to talk about now, um, and and just really just introducing kids, you know, to the game, not not really hardlining it and saying, hey, you got to do all this, everything perfect, but just sort of introducing them to the game like they are introduced to so many other sports. And it's great that you had that opportunity with your dad, and you got to find out what he actually did for a living that way, um, and wondered <laughs> why, and answered that question that that you guys said probably scratched your head for a few years and said, well, how's dad getting out to play golf every, uh, you know, every afternoon? So it answered that, that burning yeah. question that your family had. So, so Ginger, let me ask you. So obviously, you know, you, you developed uh, and learned to play, and, and uh, you had uh, obviously did extremely well right up and through high school, uh, and then you became a, a, a collegiate player. Uh, what was your experience as a collegiate player? What was it about that experience? Because it's typically different than say when you're out on tour where you're out by yourself. Now you're in a team environment. So what was that experience? What did you learn uh, from collegiate golf that's helped you later on? Gosh, you know, I was blessed um, double by uh, catching the eye of Pat Weiss. She was the very first coach at the University of Texas, and um, her home state was Arkansas. So when I started playing, I was blessed that my parents could take me throughout the country. Back in the late 70s and early 80s, when golf was really just starting to explode, um, I played on the first year that the AJGA started their junior tour. Um, but again, I was blessed to get out there and get my name known a little bit and catch the eye of some of these bigger coaches and bigger schools. But uh, Pat Weiss, as I say, she's, she, was the, she was the reason why I was able to to learn what I learned. Um, I played with players such as Sherry Steinhauer that went on to make millions on tour, Kate Golden, who is now coaching, Jamie Fisher, who is the director of instruction at Conway Farms in Chicago, um, Meredith McClay, 
she she was a collegiate coach as well, just retired from that industry. So all of my teammates were amazing. And so for the mm-hmm. first time, I'm a little country girl from Hope, Arkansas, and I know what it's like to be, A, beaten regularly <laughs> uh, by these elite players at the University of Texas, but it put it in a team mindset where it was bigger than you. It was bigger than what we had been trained to believe that it was all about my game and my mindset and me, 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 but it put us in a team atmosphere and, and coach Weiss was a master at putting us all together and getting the best out of us. And even back then though, they couldn't even coach while we played in a tournament. So we would prepare and then she couldn't interact with us in a golf tournament. A lot of people don't remember, of course it's 35, 40 years ago now, but a lot of people don't remember that. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And a lot certainly has, yeah, yeah, a lot has changed definitely now. It's a much different experience, um, you know, as we fast forward those years. Um, Let me ask you just on a side note, um, because it's interesting, you know, you originally from uh, Hope, Arkansas, and now, of course, live in Texas. Um, As you know, Ginger, the SEC is big down here in the south. Um, do you have conflict? Are you a Razorback or are you an Aggie or, or what's your allegiance uh, when it comes to the, the uh, football? Oh, wow. What a question. Um, <laughs> you know, I had to throw some other uh, golf in there. Yeah, you did. You know, when I, when I got to Mississippi State, uh, I was there for 11 years. And fortunately for me, Dan Mullen took over about the, the time I came in. So I've really never known anything other than pretty solid success from a football program at Mississippi State. So, you know, I've got to stick with my Bulldogs a little bit. <laughs> I was just checking to see if uh, where your allegiance was with that. Uh, you know, when you move around like that, too, it's, you know, you, you sometimes uh, through your experiences, Nat, I was just kidding because I have um, some friends that are Razorback uh, fans, and I was just curious being from Arkansas if that was your your uh, your allegiance where it was. Um but uh, just a yeah. just a, yeah, just a side thought. So <laughs> let's fast forward a little bit. You had a you know obviously had a, a extremely successful collegiate experience. Learned a lot. Played amongst top players who have gone on to have successful careers. You also went on um, and essentially gave professional golf a try, and you played on the Futures Tour, uh, which was called at that time. Now it's uh, I believe the Symmetra. So. Um, mm-hmm. you know, now you, you've had a chance to do that. What was your experience there? Um, what was it, what did, I guess, what you learned during your career uh, or your path, if you will, through high school and then into collegiate golf, what did it teach you that helped you now play with some of the best up-and-coming golfers at that time? Uh, I learned that I did not know how to practice as well as I thought I did. Um, I did not like it as much as I thought I would. Uh, Back then there was not very much money, and so you would have to work your tail off and stay in private housing and drive to the next event, and there, there just was not the support that there is of today. And... I didn't like, you know, talking to my family at home and talking to my grandparents and then 
no matter what was going on, I had to hang up the phone and take care of the task at hand, which was to perform. Right. And uh, I honestly was not as, as dedicated as I needed to be. Um, I didn't understand the depth of commitment uh, on a professional level. Um, I, I do believe to this day I had the ability, uh, but unless you have mm-hmm. all factors, you're not going to make it. And, and I, I, I don't know if I had the factors, and, and I didn't perform well, or if I just didn't like it enough to give more of myself to make it. I'm not sure what the combination was, but I, I, didn't, I didn't love it and, and therefore was not very successful. You know, and I think a lot of people fall into that same boat. You know, a lot of youngsters that come through the programs that are available now um, don't really realize the commitment. You know, you can be a, a phenomenal ball striker and you know, a, a very good putter, um, but that sometimes is not enough when you get out on tour because now you're playing with essentially the best of the best. These people that are out playing week in, week out at these various tournaments um, are playing at the very highest level, and it's not just a physical game. It's not just, you know, uh, again, solid ball striking or great putting. Uh, it's the mental game. It's, you know, you're playing several tournaments in a row, uh, several, you know, rounds in each tournament, and there's a stamina that comes into it and the mental uh, fortitude. I mean, we've had many players on my other program I do. We've had many players coming off the Symmetra Tour who, you know, have finally won, but for several years they struggled because it was just a constant grind and not realizing, um, you know, and, and they're all good players, don't get me wrong, but again, it, okay. it's not something that is as easy as what a lot of people think. So it, it's interesting. I always like to get people's perspective on that because, Again, obviously, for you to get to that level, you obviously were a very accomplished player, but sometimes it just isn't maybe, um, you know, when you've got that much competition, uh, you know, when you figure the thousands of people that play out on tour each and every year, um, very few of them actually go on to win. Most of them just go out there, and they're great players. So, I mean, you know, it's a a big dive off the diving board, if you will, into that pool, (laughs) you know, to, to be, to be successful and, and you're paddling most of the time when you're out there. So, um, certainly understandable. Um, now you also led, I want to go on a little bit further going back cause you became, uh, obviously into the coaching side of things and you actually led, um, during the programs, uh, Mississippi state into some uncharted waters. Uh, you helped guide the bulldogs from, uh, number one thirty of the uh, 270 NCAA Division I women's golf programs in 2010 to number one in 2014. And uh, your teams consistently rank in the top 40 of the collegiate system. Um, Obviously something went right there. What do you think it was? You know, it, I had such an amazing opportunity at Mississippi State. It was, it was a blessing for sure. We, we, we got in, and, and you always need that one player to help you turn that boat around. And they had been just beaten up for years and years. They had a coach, Christy Sanders, had coached for 23 years, no assistant coach. And when I was blessed to, to lead the program, it was about the time that the SEC network was taking off and our budgets were something that we could work with and, and go out and find mm-hmm. those players. Fortunately for me, my first official recruit to sign was Allie McDonald Ewing. And 
Oh wow. <laughs> that was that was the lead player that believed in us as an institution, that believed in me as a head coach, believed in Old Waverly as the facility that would continue to hone her skills. She was a Mississippi kid. Um her dad graduated from Mississippi State, so I had a little bit of an advantage, but, you know, everybody in the right. SEC was after her, and I, I just, the moon's aligned, and, and there's a great story behind <laughs> my first recruiting conversation with Allie. I, for the first time in my entire life, got laryngitis, and so oh, I'm, I'm screeching, <laughs> I'm screeching out these words, trying to, to, to get to know this young woman and her, and her wonderful parents. And and I can't talk. And to this day, my husband and I laugh about that time and how, you know, that was God's way of you not messing it up, Ginger. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, um, and, 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 obviously, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Obviously, Allie was, she was just the leader that, that helped us internally. Obviously, she's profusely talented on the golf course, but she was just as talented uh, as a team leader. And, Anybody that knows anything about coaching and team dynamics and work ethic knows that they've got to have the internal leadership to be able to turn a program around and to really, really see the success that you know is in there. And she was that critical player. And then we beat the bushes around the world because, you know, between me and you and the fence post, it's not that easy to recruit to rural Mississippi. But we we managed Mm -hmm. to get it done and had tons and tons of success. So, I love the collegiate atmosphere. I love that you have a much bigger influence on them continuing to grow up and you're a second mom because they leave home at 18 and, you know, they're the ones learning about time management and, oh, mom's not here to do my laundry and you mean I have to be (laughs) at practice and uh, I've got to make sure that I have my golf shoes and my golf clubs and my range finder and an extra battery and my rain gear and my umbrella. And I mean, it just, there's a learning curve. And uh, when those freshmen come back that, that second semester, they know a whole lot more than they did showing up in August. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and, and it, you're exactly right. It's a learning curve, no matter what you do. I mean, obviously, and this is why it's important, I think, you know, for the, especially at the collegiate level, I mean, obviously, you know, we want to introduce youngsters to the game and we want to nurture, um, you know, not just because they have a talent, but if they have a desire and a passion to want to take it to another level, you know, you want to nurture that. But it is, there's a learning curve. And, you know, there's lots of young kids that have tremendous talent at a very early age, but then get out there and, and get pushed into the system or get rushed through because of overzealous parents or what have you. And, or maybe get into a less uh, um, organized program and just don't really reach the capacity that they potentially might um, because they just didn't have a good start. So this is something obviously that you recognize from uh, your own experiences and you incorporated into your coaching and that at uh, Mississippi State. What specifically, when you're looking for, I mean, obviously you had with Ali, you had a, a uh, you know, uh, uh, the opportunity to, to teach a, a high-caliber young lady. But what specifically, as head coach, are you looking for? It's not just all about the game. I mean, obviously, they've got to be a good player, but there's other things that you look for. Maybe you can share a little bit about that, and then we're going to talk about um, your business that you're running now and, and what you're doing. Of course. 
um, in the recruiting process, uh, I had to, I had to try to find these young women that that would fit our university, but my style of coaching and can I help them grow? And part of how that developed was uh, we came up with some core values as a program. You really first have to discover who you are and what you want to stand for as a coach, what you want to provide student athletes as a program. And we kind of cultivated five core values, and it's an acronym, D-A-W-G-S, and that stood for D is discipline, do what you plan, not what you feel. A is attitude, be an energy giver, not an energy taker. W is, D-A-W is will, work hard, never quit. G is gratitude, be thankful for what you have versus what you don't. And S is selfless, and that is always we over me. So as we grew and kind of came into our own, we, we culminated these core values, and then you look for people that, you can see will support and grow and assist you in holding themselves and other teammates and coaches for that matter to these standards. And and we changed our language from, you know, rules and regulations to book of standard. These are standards of our behavior. These are standards when we're out in the community. These are standards when we volunteer and we, we assist others in the community that need our help. So I would go out no matter – Blessed enough in the SEC, I could go all over the world to find those players that fit into that mentality that wanted to be bigger than just themselves and their golf game at Mississippi State, but wanted to leave there with a legacy of pushing themselves out of their comfort zone and getting better, but pushing teammates, pushing me as a coach to be a better leader and to be prepared and to be inspiring to them. Um, so those, that, that grit is, is something that we just we we found in Alley and we found in players from Malaysia to Texas to Mississippi and Florida as well. So it really evolved and, and it was a growth process for all of us. Yeah, and, and, and again, you know, you you we draw on our experiences in life, whatever you know, path we've taken, whether it's in golf or in some other business or some other activity, and we utilize it in such a way and learn from it and grow from it. We make mistakes. We have successes, failures, whatever. Um, But we take that knowledge and really have an opportunity to do a couple of things. We can use it to better ourselves and pursuit of our, you know, furtherance of our careers um, and and or we can take it and help pass on that knowledge to another generation of up-and-comers that want to maybe transition through some of the same uh, things that you've done. And along comes really an opportunity for you to be able to do that. You obviously had a very uh, successful junior career and and into uh, both collegiate and as a a player, but also as a coach. Um, And now you've had the opportunity to take it a step further and you developed uh, your own business, Collegiate Golf Connections. Why did you decide to start that? What was the reason behind? I mean, you could have just sort of drifted off into the sunset, played some golf, had some fun, but you decided to say, <laughs> no, I want to do something here, um, and I want to be able to help nurture that next generation and future generations of players coming up through the ranks. What was your thought process here? 
Well, my uh, my process was that, that I was a small-town Arkansas girl that because of this incredible game, I got to get on private planes and go with a team and compete. I got to fly all over the world because of this game. And what it has provided me is absolutely humbling on every level. And I thought there, my favorite part of, of my whole entire experience was there's, there's a couple of phases of my career that, that, are, that really stand out. One of them is with the first tee of Little Rock, which was the Jack Stevens Youth Golf Academy and what that stood for and the value systems that we taught through the game and all the people associated with the First Tee National Office and what they taught me. I got to know Lynn and Pia with Vision 54 mm. and just, just right. many of the masters of the game. I got, I got exposure, and I learned from all of them. And then to do that in my home state was incredibly special to me. Um, I always led junior programs at any private country club. My husband, I, I met him. He built golf courses. So I got to learn golf from a completely different perspective. I got to know architects and why they design certain things, how they design certain things, and how they can pull your eye and therefore pull your golf shots on the left side of the fairway where you really needed to be the right side. So this career <laughs> I've had is, is an unbelievable testament to what this game can provide, and I did not want to let it go by and, and just play my way into the sunset. I wanted to give back now at this phase of my life. I've got two children, 21 and 23. They're finishing up college and, and moving on, and I want to give back. I want to be able to, to get a hold of these juniors and say, you know what, you can play collegiately, but here are some of the steps that we can take to prepare you to be marketable and to be competitive and, and make sure that they're educated and have a good understanding about what it looks like. And there's some beautiful things going on now about how, you know, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and all of those guys, some of the best athletes in the world, they all didn't play D1 college sports. They all started it. Some played junior college level. Some was in a D2 school. Some got cut from their high school basketball team. I mean, there's so many ways to arrive at your experience. Mm -hmm. I like I like to discuss optimism and opportunity and then educate and prepare. That's there's really three basic levels to what I do and, and we, we attack the academic requirements of a family and a junior. Then we attack the athletic component. Do you want to go big D one or are you more comfortable with a D three uh, situation where you're balancing your time and your golf a little bit better. And then the third area is personal growth. And I have seen some of the most incredible growth of these young women coming through our programs. It is a beautiful thing. And you want to make sure that those junior golfers find somewhere that they can grow. And that's not just their golf game. That is about them as human beings. How can they grow and how can we nurture them and make sure that they get the right the right pairing, for lack of a better way to say it, in their collegiate experience. Yeah, that's a great point. We're going to talk more about that. Um, just on a quick side note, I want to thank you for helping to explain that it's the architect's reason why my golf ball is going on the wrong side of the fairway. I just wanted to point that out there. 
Um, now, now it makes sense. I always wondered what was going on. I thought it was me, but no, it's the architect. So for you architects that might be listening to the show tonight, it's your fault. My ball's going to the wrong side of the fairway, uh, according to if we'd only uh, Ginger. Yeah, if we'd only known. Yeah, if I... <laughs> so, so let's unpack this a little more um, because, you know, we... Here's here's what what happens. Um, I think a lot, and, and certainly correct me if I'm wrong. More often than not, most kids, you can attest for yourself. When you're introduced to something, whatever it is, whatever sport, game, activity, you either have an initial interest for a couple of reasons. One, it's it's something that appeals to you. It looks interesting, but more often than not, at a very young level, it's something that maybe your parents. Uh, or other family members are doing, and you want to feel it's it's part of the inclusion. Uh, you want to feel included. You want to you know be part of the activity. Uh, but at some point, when you make a decision that hey, this is something I want to give a try to, one of the the issues that we often are faced with is overzealous parents that want to you know, whether it's living vicariously through their children or they're pushing them in at such a level. You obviously want to nip that in the butt very quickly as a coach and as somebody now that has a business that's helping guide those paths because you're seeing the player and the individual for who they are, not through somebody else's eyes. So when you do what you're doing now, what is some of the conversation you're having with these young women when you see the potential there, but maybe the spirit isn't there? Um, what's the conversation you have, and how do you turn it around? How do you, you know, without, you know, starting World War III with the parents, how do you take what you have learned yourself and help that student navigate through the channels that they need to if that's what they want to do? That's a great question. Uh, there's there's a lot of I ask a lot of questions. Um, I I want the junior golfer. I I will I will talk with the parents obviously, but this is about mm-hmm. educating the junior golfer, and her parents are secondary. So it's it's a mission that that I fact find and I ask a lot of questions of the junior and and break down those walls of you know who is this lady and can I trust her and can I really say what I want to say um, I, I it's it's critical that from pretty much the first conversation you you talk with that junior player and kind of get a pulse for level of understanding, expectation, who is in fact driving the bus uh, to competitions and is, is this an overzealous parent? And we've all seen those parents yeah. um, and, and, and I had one. <laughs> I, I, I understand mm-hmm. it completely. Uh, but at the same time, um, eloquence and, and there's a lot of education um, on my part, it's my responsibility to to educate the junior and and tell them what my experience has been as a coach and what I looked for as a coach and how they can make sure that they're not in a position to alienate a program or a coach because of an overzealous parent. And and then of course you have multiple conversations with the overzealous parent, just slowly educating them and 
making sure that they understand the big picture that this isn't uh, they're not recruiting you specifically even though you're a part mm-hmm. of the coach's decision and do you want to be responsible for alienating a coach and a program that your daughter could potentially be a part of and it's a right. it's a very multiple careful conversations uh, about how it all works and the importance of them being a part of it but certainly in a as a as a steady family resource versus leading the helm right right exactly and and again it, it is a fine line because you you want to be there and you want to be supportive with the student and encourage them um you know as as a coach um and you also want to respect you know the the parents as well um but at the same time you're looking at it from a different you're not looking at this is my child you're looking at it okay how can i help encourage motivate um educate what have you this individual to accomplishing the goals the dreams the desires that you know that she may have or he what you know obviously depending on the case but um so you know you're looking at it from a different through a different lens um but obviously you have experience yourself you know in in your own family and that in your own personal experiences but so when what is it that you need parents to do um as far as their role, what is it that you need for them to do if their child is considering uh, getting into collegiate golf? What is it their role? What do you want them to do? Their role is to ask great questions of their child, um, help them come up with an objective list of priorities. What What is the most imp- – I always advise them to make an objective list of what their priority is, um, assist the junior in making that list is academics first priority is a head coach a priority our facilities a priority is conference a priority is uh is this academic institution do they have my degree program that i'm looking for is it a specialized degree program um do what division so there's so many different factors the parent has to be secondarily there to support what that potential student athlete wants for themselves. If parents drive the bus, that athlete will not be successful um, long-term. They'll make it a little while, but I've seen it more times than not uh, that that maybe the, the parent pushes into this school or that program and it wasn't exactly a fit for the student. And first year, freshman, doesn't play very much second year they might play as an individual and then they either quit or transfer out Uh, we see that quite a bit when the fit isn't right or the priorities aren't fully explored and you know maybe division one isn't the choice for you but there is incredible schools and very competitive systems out there in junior college my daughter played uh, at wallace state in alabama for a junior program over there Mm -hmm. she got away from mama she what you know she was able to grow and learn and it was a fantastic opportunity for her. My son played junior college football. He did not love it, wasn't eaten up with it, but he liked it a lot. So he played at East Central uh, in Mississippi. And so there is, there is again going back to parents are in a supportive role. The worst thing I could have done was push my son into a, a bigger role 
and using football to do that. He he picked. I got to be mm-hmm. I got to be the parent that wore nothing on my shirt with Mississippi State on it when we went and took official visits and things. And he he drove <laughs> the bus. He decided. So right. that was that was an unbelievable empathetic time frame for me as a parent and me as a coach and me as a former student athlete and me as a professional player. It, it sort of came full circle for me, and I had more empathy for parents than I ever had before because I was always the coach saying, you did a great job. She'll be fine. I promise you, you've raised a wonderful young lady. She'll make it, and I'll be there with her. But now I'm on the other side of that, and I've got a daughter going to play golf, and I've got a son going to play football. I really understood then what my flippant mm-hmm. words meant to a mama. Um so it, it it was an amazing uh, experience as a parent to go through it on the other side. It really made me more empathetic and understanding of that process from a parent's perspective, and I had a lot more respect for that after, like I say, after unloading my, my daughter the freshman year into a dorm away from home. <laughs> yeah, I think, and it's well said, and, and I think, you know, Ginger, you, you, you need to see things from, from both perspectives in order to be successful at what you're doing because, you know, you have to have empathy for, obviously, parents. It's a difficult transition. They're, they're you know, it's not their, I mean, it will always be their, their little, you know, girl or what have you, but um, but that person's growing up and, and is now learning to step out on their own. So you kind of have to, as they say, cut the cord a little bit and, and you know, certainly give them a, an encouraging nudge, but they've got to find their own way now and, you know, it's great that they've adapted, um, you know, to the way they've been brought up and, and have reached out to aspire, you know, to whatever it is that, that they've, um, you know, wanting to tackle on. Um, I'll, I'm going to go back to your business here, and you've got a number of different services that you offer uh, from a very sort of a, a, a general, more basic service up to, to more advanced. Maybe you could touch on a little bit on, on each of them. Um, what role you're playing there and, and essentially what you're trying to accomplish with some of the different services. What are, just give us an overview, if you wouldn't mind, of some of the services that you're offering at Collegiate Golf Connections. Sure. Um, really the initial conversation um, I just call Find Your Fit. Uh, it's, a, it's a virtual consultation, an hour and a half or so, and it's just a, a getting to know each other and what their goals are and, and what they're looking for and and if I'm, in fact, the person to help them uh, long-term or, or on a short-term basis, uh, it just, just helps everybody figure out how it works and what they're interested in. And I've, I've had calls everywhere from um, Arkansas to Malaysia. So it just depends on, on how I can help and how I can educate the person that is seeking opportunities. And... Um, that's, that's a fabulous way to see and ask questions and see if you're playing in great events that, that are going to get you ranked like you want to be ranked to get recruited by the schools that you would love to, to have the opportunity to play for. Um, and then I do just a, a one-day total evaluation, which uh, it, this, is, this business is, is just a couple of months old, and I haven't had the opportunity yet to do that. But in, in the Woodlands, there are so many courses and so many juniors, and it, it's, it would be a great opportunity to spend the day with a former SEC coach so that I can completely assist their entire game from 
you know, their scoring wedges to the putting, to the driving accuracy, the golf swing in general, um, make notes of their mental game and their, their resiliency and their grit out there when they're playing. And are they nervous because I'm standing there making notes and what does that feel like to them? <laughs> and having conversations about, about nerves and how to, how to handle when somebody, you know, that you desperately want the opportunity to go play for, and she's there finally watching you. And what does that feel like? And how do you handle it? And a lot of parents will, I foresee a lot of parents being a part of that conversation. Um, and, I would, again, I would love, as a collegiate coach, you work with PGA Golf Professional instructors. So, you know, with eight to ten girls on the team, the last thing I'm going to do is bring everybody in and change your golf swing. So the smart coaches will work hand-in-hand hand with the PGA or LPGA professionals. We recruited them on their ability to play, and and so I would work closely with that golf professional to make sure that my language and what I was working for or reminding the the player of was was matching what their language and what they're used to and what their tendencies needed to be supported. So, um, I can see the one day evaluation being an incredible tool for the big picture and being able to really learn about what what skill set needed to be sharpened and and what skill set was was solid and and you could move forward. Um, and then the two remaining uh, possibilities are more of a long term relationship and and how over time we can get say a, a freshman in high school and over time how do we get you into the events to get you ranked better so that you can compete for a roster spot at your dream school and um, I did a lot of I, I found myself as a collegiate coach drawn to the mental training side of the game that that um, right that's really elite performance is is not technical it is it is mental and I was blessed to work with some of the best in the in the world, really, and I I find myself doing a lot of that through Collegiate Golf Connections and really counseling these young women and men on how to perform your best. And there are systems that we would practice at Mississippi State um, based on my training and and our team's training with these performance experts. So. Uh, you know, you can hit balls till the world falls down, but that does not get the ball in the hole, <laughs> nor does it nor does it manage your resiliency and your ability to get through a round when things aren't going great and you scrap it around for a seventy four anyway. And that's what collegiate play is about is it's just that never give up. There's five people teeing it up and she might be having a worse day than I am, so I am not ever gonna say die and you just do what you have to do to get the ball in the hole. Yeah, and and you're right, and and it is, a, it's a, you know, it, it's a progression, if you will, uh, to through a lot of these programs, and it's not just a one day thing, it's not just a two day thing, it's it's something that really uh, takes a lot of effort and a lot of consideration. There's a lot of things, and and you know, it brings me to, um, you know, this point here, Ginger, if you will, is a lot of there's a lot of parents out there that really don't know what to do. They know that their child is interested. They know the child has shown, um, you know, maybe some positive signs or, uh, you know, a, a God-given talent, if you will, towards the game. But they don't know really where to go. And they, they've heard about, you know, the collegiate programs, and they're trying to navigate that. And really what you've put together and you offer, I see as well, um, uh, you know, the ability to come and speak with junior clinics or at junior clinics, rather, or, or put together seminars 
to help them navigate some of this uh, recruiting process, if you will. And this is really something where a lot of parents are confused about. So really what you're providing here is it's not just an opportunity to help the, the child or the student to transition into the various programs, but it's also an opportunity to educate the, the parents on what they need to do and what is required and where to go. A lot of them don't know where to start. Um, that's essentially really what you're offering, correct? That's exactly right. And um, fortunately, as a 25-year PGA golf professional, I have partnered with the Southern Texas PGA section and and beginning the educational process through some virtual conferences, through uh, web-based education, and, and through obviously my services as Collegiate Golf Connections, but just just to start educating people and and let them know how to start. And so I'll be able to communicate, have you got a competitive resume together? Where is your future schedule? You need to start sharing that. Do you have a social media presence? Um, have you registered with the NCAA Eligibility Center? Things of that nature. Who do you work with as a golf professional? Do you know your strengths and weaknesses of your golf game? Because if your parent asks me, or sorry, if your parent answers how many putts you have per round, we have a problem. You need to know that information. So if you're 30.1 putts per round, you need to know that. That's very good. You need to know that. Um, Mm -hmm. So, uh, and again, relationships throughout my my career, uh, Michael Romatowski with Mach 3 Speed Training contacted me. I'm going to go over to San Antonio area and and do a recruiting seminar there. David Ogren uh, of PGA fame um, contacted me, and I'm going to go do a seminar with with he and Billy Harmon uh, here in a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's just starting to catch fire, and it, it, I've had such an incredible experience as an SEC coach to be able to tell them from my perspective and what I looked for and how to do these things and to educate the parents. There's so much relief on the face of these parents when you when you talk to them about what it takes and how to start. And it, it's it's a beautiful thing to be able to be on this side of the game now and be able to share this information and just just watch the faces light up a little bit with with opportunity and excitement and optimism. You know, it's really interesting that you say that because I, I can say from a, a personal um, uh, approach, if you will, um, I host uh, another show, as I alluded to earlier, called The Women of Golf, and that airs on, on Tuesday mornings, by the way, for those of you tuning in at, uh, for the first time. Um, and it's on the same network, but it's um, Tuesday mornings, and we interview the winners and have for several years now, the winners uh, off of the Symmetra Tour each week. And what's really interesting is many of them, probably most of them, have had some sort of collegiate career. And I can say with with probably 100% certainty, every single one of them points back to that experience as being an important, integral part of their career thus far. It doesn't matter how many tournaments they've professionally they've won they all look back to their collegiate experience their teammates their uh you know the camaraderie that they shared and their coaches particularly the experience that was passed on to them and i'm sure many have you know over the years as they progressed have even gone back and 
picked up that mantle themselves. So you're exactly right in what you just said is, is, you know, you're now on the other side of it. You've been as a player, but now you're on the coaching side and now you're even on helping them to understand and navigate that, that, you know, difficult uh, channel, if you will, um, with the experience of a coach and you know what to look for and, you know, what it is that coaches are wanting to see from their players other than just a great golf game. There's much more that you're looking for. And that really is what a lot of parents need to hear and the discussions they need to have. So if, if somebody needs to have that discussion with you or whether it be the student or parents or both or all of the above, um, where can they go to get more information and how do they start get the ball rolling? Oh, well, thanks for the opportunity to share this. Um, I have a website called collegiategolfconnections.com. And it, there is a seminar sign-up links. There are testimonials. There is an intake form where I can get a little more familiar with the potential clients. And, and it's about us getting to know each other initially and what are their goals and helping them come up with those objective lists of what they're looking for in a program. Um, I'm working with a young lady in Illinois now that is looking for a Division three. Um, really rigorous academic institution, but she loves the game and she wants to be a part of something bigger than herself. And that excites me beyond belief because there is a place for her and finding that with mm-hmm. her and pulling out of her those objectives and, and her parents are exceptional and they're supportive and they're Ivy League educated. And I'm a little girl from Hope, Arkansas. Look at how this game is is connected us all over the world with different people and all through this game. But it's just it's a matter of, of, of jumping on my website and I'm on all social media platforms and Instagram and mm-hmm. Facebook and Twitter and all just direct message me and I'll be happy to have a conversation with you and and just assess where you are and what you're looking for and ask you some great questions and maybe it'll it'll spur some objective thought for you. I couldn't have put it better myself. So for those of you, whether it be parents or whether you're somebody that's at that stage, I would highly recommend you visit Ginger's website. Again, it's collegiategolfconnections.com and start that conversation. It's not something that you need to do on your own and you need to draw from the experience of somebody who has been on both sides uh, and is now here to help you navigate sometimes those difficult waters. Um, so, again, I would strongly encourage you um, to visit her website, collegiategolfconnections.com, or message her on uh, the variety of social media platforms that she just uh, mentioned, and uh, send her a message and say, hey, I've got some questions here. What do I need to do? And um, get the ball rolling. Ginger, I want to thank you very much. It's been very interesting because I know this is a conversation um, that a lot of parents have. Um, you know, their their child has maybe gone through various different junior golf programs, um, and now they're looking. Okay, how do we? You know, what's next? What do we do? How do we get them into, you know, a, a good school, a good program? And they don't really know where to start. And it. You know, I think as we've talked about privately when we were setting up this original uh, interview is, you know, we need to educate, um, you know, the average folks. It's nice for us in the golf business to have have all of the answers, 
but for the people that are outside of the industry that need the answers, we've got to find ways of, of communicating it. And I think what you're putting together and what you have been putting together over the years is, is helping to do that. So um, thank you for, for putting this project together uh, and, and reaching and giving back uh, for the next generations to be able to do some of the things that you've been able to do and have the same experience because it's obviously been one that has, um, you know, bore you very well over the years and has given you some great experiences and great memories, and now you're wanting to pass that on. So kudos to you for that. Um, so thank you for uh, for sharing that with my audience tonight. Well, I'm so grateful for the chance. It's good to get to know you a little bit better, and um, I'll, I'll leave with one story. Um, Mm-hmm. My, I had a collegiate player my first year at Mississippi State who showed up and had never pumped her own gasoline in her <laughs> car. And so I, I mm. thought she was kidding at first. So part of the fun in, in doing some of these seminars is communicating with them how we as parents prepare our young women and young men to be successful in college. And that is from sorting laundry to filling up your gas tank to trying to to get a planner and start using it. And how about making your own lesson appointments with your local PGA or LPGA professional or scheduling your own ACT for different or SAT testing? Uh, There's just so many ways that we can prepare. And and as we try to be great parents, we try to take care of a lot of this stuff, but it, it, it's also a detriment uh, a lot of times as well. It it certainly makes that freshman first six, eight weeks or so go a little bit easier if we can start letting go and, and assigning more responsibility to these juniors and kind of letting them handle so that they're prepared for what's coming. Life is uh, life is tough enough. You want to, to prepare them as best as we can and um, – she did learn to pump her own gas. I'm, I am going to tell you that. <laughs> well, well, that good, good for her because I'll tell you, there's nothing worse than if you were driving on your way to a tournament and you run out of gas and don't know how to refuel. So that's definitely a life lesson that she needed to learn, and I'm glad that you were able there to help her. And, and you're so right, you know, Ginger. I think that, you know, I think it also offers, you know, having somebody like yourself that's been in the business uh, as a as a golf professional and as a player and, and so forth, uh, to be able to really add comfort. Because uh, that is a very difficult, as you've experienced yourself, when your little ones uh, were shuffling off to school, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that's a, that's a difficult transition for parents. And I think to know mm-hmm. that there's somebody like yourself there to help in addition to what they've already done, but giving them answers that the parents obviously didn't have, because um, they're now drawing off your experience, I'm sure it gives them a sense of relief and comfort to know that, hey, we've got somebody that really understands this process that's going to be able to help our child navigate, again, these waters. Um, and, and that's what we need more of, I think, in this world, is to be able to work together uh, for, for these common goals and to help, as I said, the next generation uh, be better prepared, um, because mom and dad aren't going to always be there at some point. And, uh, that's right. The better we can get them, the better we can get them started off. Uh, the more successful they're going to be in their journey, and then they're going to want to pass that on uh, to their uh, children uh, when that comes time. Well, Ginger, I want to thank you, and again, everybody uh, tuning in, the website is collegiategolfconnections.com. Be sure you go and visit that at the end of the show. Check it out, and if you're somebody, whether a parent or a student, 
uh, or maybe having aspirations of getting into a collegiate program, she would be a great start and a great person to work with. So please reach out, collegiategolfconnections.com. Ginger, thank you again very much for joining me. It was a pleasure, and I hope you'll come back, and we'll, uh, we'll have some more conversations on a future show. A future show. Time, Ted. Thanks a million. I appreciate you. Not a problem. Thank you, and have a great evening. Enjoy your weekend, and much, much continued success uh, with your programs. Thank you, Ted. Bye, guys. All right. Bye-bye. All right, that was my very special guest, Ginger Brown-Lem, founder and owner of Collegiate Golf Connections. And again, you can go to collegiategolfconnections.com and check out all of the information is there and accessible. Uh, so you have no excuse. If you're on the fence and not sure what to do, maybe you have a lot of questions, again, Ginger would be a great person to reach out to. She's got a lot of experience both as a coach and as a player as well. And she's able to help you navigate some of the waters that you may be facing or your child may be facing in the future uh, with their collegiate uh, uh, um, adaptations, if you will. All right, also a special thank you to my good friend, PJ Master Professional John Hughes. Thanks, John, for a great discussion earlier on Coach's Corner. Um, it's time to close off, and I'm going to say thank you, everybody, for tuning in each and every week. It's an honor. I truly mean that. And uh, just a, one last reminder, Golf Tips Magazine, if you're interested in getting uh, sharp with your game, go to golftipsmag.com, click on subscribe if you're not a subscriber, or even if you are and you want to gift it, uh, that's okay, you can give it as a gift, uh, click subscribe and select the print uh, subscription, and you can now get a one-year subscription for $9.99. Um, by entering promo code GOLFTIPS21. That's GOLFTIPS21. It's not case sensitive, so any way you enter it in is fine. Uh, uppercase, lowercase, combination, doesn't matter. GOLFTIPS21, and you will save uh, just a little over 30% off of the regular subscription uh, for one-year subscription, uh, which is regularly $14.97. You can now get it for $9.99, but that's a limited time, so hurry up and do that. Again, if you don't have a subscription, go to golftipsmag.com. Click on subscribe on the uh, on the print subscription. Excuse me, my brain's getting a little brain fog here. Um, and enter promo code GOLFTIPS21 and save a little over 30% and get it now for $9.99. Uh, I hope you'll take advantage. God bless everybody. Have a great week, and I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.